Ricky. And I'm Joe, and this is Season 6, Episode 7 of the Beer and Broadband Podcast, slated to come out on uh, May, <laughs> I had to think about the month, which one's the fifth month, May 8th, 2023, and we're just going to get right into it. Today, we're going to have a cocktail and physical versus virtual media episode, um, and the cocktail that we're looking at is a um, godfather, so... Ricky's had a couple of sips. Uh, he's, I don't think you've ever had this one before? No, I don't think so. Okay, so this is like a more classic type of Manhattan. Mm-hmm. It is half sweet red vermouth, half um, whiskey of any type. Yeah. I used Ancient Age this time because it's um, okay uh, to do cocktails with. It's not necessarily my favorite, like scotch mm-hmm. or whiskey you know, type thing to do. And then you put some bitters in it. And the only other thing that you can do is take um, a orange and get the peel of it, express the oils over the top of it, rim the glass with it, and then put that inside of it. Yeah. So what do you think? I don't know. I'm a little conflicted. I like that the sweet vermouth and the bitters give a lot of like kind of a citrusy flavor to it. The citrus is probably the bitters. Yeah. And I don't want to say it mutes it. It makes it way more sippable. Yeah. Like, if you just poured me a bunch of whiskey, like we do when we go out and we'll smoke a cigar or something, you know, I'm taking small sips. It's hard to, like, get a lot of that in at once. But I feel like it mutes the whiskey flavor a lot. Ancient like, Age is not a very strong whiskey. Okay. Maybe but, that's it. But I'll, I'll, uh, I'll step away and get you a little, like, bit of Ancient Age mm-hmm. and let you, let you try it by itself. Um it's more of a sipping type whiskey. It's not. Yeah. It's it's not a bad whiskey. It's just more of like a bottom shelf, a little bit slightly lower okay. proof. Okay. Yeah. So maybe that's it. I mean, overall, it's not bad. I mean, like I'm going to finish this cocktail. Yeah. Uh, which I don't normally finish it. The uh, the pours of straight whiskey you give me. So that's an improvement. Yeah. I'm not wasting any whiskey. <laughs> but um. Yeah, I can definitely see it, but I can also see why, you know, the Manhattan exists. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, the Manhattan is more whiskey forward. This is mm-hmm. more balanced across the board. Yeah, it really is. And this is my fam- favorite cocktail just to make just like this because I normally mm-hmm. don't keep oranges around. So I'll just have this in the evening. Um, I normally make myself a double. And I'll have I'll have this and just sip on it for like three or four hours while I'm listening to music or playing okay. a video game or something. Um, so it, it when I don't want straight whiskey, this is what I generally turn to. Okay, I can see that. Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty good. So if you, like, the recipe is one-to-one um, Angus, a uh, couple spices of Angostura bitters, and then one-to-one red vermouth versus um, uh, your whiskey of choice. Mm-hmm. Um, I use Ancient Age in this and, um, you know, uh, just some regular old uh, red vermouth that you get off the store shelf. There's nothing special about it or anything like that. Yeah. Um, now, you can, I've had these before. Where you get like some spicier red vermouths, mm-hmm. um, and, and you or, and it's sweet red vermouth, not just red vermouth, but you get some spicier sweet red vermouth. Um, you get some like orange bitters or some other spiced bitters, and it can affect the flavor of the cocktail. So you can do variations on it, but just as it stands, this is just a straight up how I make my Godfathers. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, and I think you hit on a good point with the, the spicier vermouth, that 
if instead of the whiskey in this, you put in something like a Jamaican rum, something that's really funky but not necessarily very sweet, this could also work really well. Yeah, that's not a Godfather then. That is, is it a Paloma? No, that's not right. That is a different drink, but that is a cocktail that mm -hmm. you can make. It's basically one-to-one -one, um, rum and vermouth. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty good stuff. Uh, so try it if you want to. I think it's got both of our seal of approval. Yeah, it's not bad. Yeah. So let's talk about digital versus physical media. Now, every year we talk about this at least once, and every year we disagree a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, some things have happened recently where Disney has been able to push some laws that um, really threaten our ability to have uh, backups of digital media, mm -hmm. to be able to um, sell or distribute digital media without giving them some sort of cut. Um, book publishers have done the same thing. So I'm just wondering, has that affected your thoughts on being able to have physical media that you can still kind of control and manage, make your own copies of if you wanted to back it up for, you know, I mean, legally back it up, mm -hmm. you know, in the United States and different countries have different laws. So not talking about any other country, but legally back it up and be able to like kind of not break any copyright law, not distribute it the wrong way. No, we're not talking about any of that mm -hmm. stuff. We're just talking about, uh, you know, if I wanted to be able to take a scan, um, like a, a do like a, a copy machine, I have a book, I wanted to, you know, copy that book page. If I have a physical copy of it, I can do that. This is a lot yeah. harder to do that with a digital copy or something mm -hmm. like that. All right. Uh, that's my, my kind of intro. Yeah, I mean, I'll say I don't – I really am not a fan of where we have been seeing of a lot of companies push for digital media where it's like, uh, yeah, well, you know, it's available, but it's not really available – and we told you, you know, you'd be able to run this, but now we're taking off some server we didn't tell you that we had, so now it's causing problems, you know, that sort of stuff. I'm still a fan of having digital presence in media. Yeah. But, like, yeah, I think we're hitting a point where there's not really an excuse for it not to be secured some way for you to still be able to access it. That's, like, one of the things I've really liked about seeing where certain NFTs are going, where it's not just here's a picture and this is, like, a trading card. But like here is a digital asset that can be moved around. Right. The, the asset is directly in the NFT. Like that's still pretty early, but like you were seeing like songs being released as NFTs and the song is in the NFT. So it's not like like they can't ever take that back away from right. you. Because you have it, it's almost like you've got that black file or something and it's just hosted wherever you've got your wallet. Right. You know. In, you know, we've seen little tiny video games start to come out. You know, not complicated ones, but some like smaller games that are actually inside the NFT itself. So it's like it's not uh, just a token to go authenticate to some server somewhere. All the programming is there inside of it. So that's a that's an interesting idea for me, and I'm wondering if that is really a direction we should be pushing digital media to go. Where hey, if you're gonna sell me a digital copy of it, that's fine. I'm happy to have the digital copy but it has to be secured in some way. So that if five years from now you decide you're gonna go do something as a company or you go bankrupt or something like that, that my asset is still secured. 
Yeah, and I think that also needs to be something that we can push out to places like the Internet Archive. Because mm-hmm. uh, they, like during the pandemic, they were given the ability to, just like other libraries, to let people, since they couldn't come to the library, mm-hmm. lend out books and yep. stuff like that. And now they just lost a lawsuit um, where they couldn't, where they're not allowed to do that because they mm-hmm. kind of just were like, yeah, I mean, the pandemic's not really over. I mean, people are still are going out. We do have yeah. a vaccine and all that stuff. But, you know, that thing still exists and we're still having to deal with it. So if someone's medically fragile and they want to get this book, mm-hmm. that was kind of their way yeah. of thinking of it. Um, but publishers, um, I think – you know, some of them like Random House and stuff like that, they went to, um, you know, the U.S. courts and filed and brought a, a, you know, copyright infringement case against the Internet Archive. And um, in a lot of ways, those publishers don't even want libraries to exist anymore. They They don't want any of that stuff to be available. And I'll tell you right now, physical or digital media in a library is such an awesome service. It really is. I I can afford to buy my own stuff now, um, and I still use the library all the time. Oh, yeah. We take our kids to the library every week. So, like, I'm I'm not really familiar with that too much. How many copies was the Internet Archive allowed to basically borrow out, or did they have, like, an infinite number because it was all digital? They had an infinite number for a little while because those rules were relaxed, or at least they were told they were. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, um, you know, now those companies are trying to claw back some of that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I can see to an extent the publisher's claim if there's like an infinite number of copies available on the internet. Because at least even in a public library, they have like 10 copies of your book. And maybe in every public library in a state, they maybe only have 1,000 or 2,000 copies of your book. So I can see that from the infinite perspective. But there's no reason you shouldn't be able to just loan books out digitally. Right. Just like half them at something. Say, hey. Per country, you can have 100,000 copies. Well, so they like that. The, the way that they do it is um, you have to have a physical copy of the book, and mm-hmm. then you can loan out so many digital copies per physical copy or something oh, like that. Oh, okay. Well, then, and they yeah, had physical the... copies of the book, and they were adhering to that. That rule had just yeah, been yeah, relaxed yeah. in some ways, from what I understand. Okay. Well, no, there's no. I don't really see the, the problem there then. As long as that ratio is something that people can agree on, which I know they're not going to agree on because they don't want any ratio at all. But as long as it's something reasonable, like if you have one physical copy of every five copies you can loan or something like that, like, what's the problem? Yeah. So the the Internet Archive um, was, I, I guess, you know, kind of pushing the boundaries on that, mm-hmm. and that's where they got slapped okay. down a bit. It, it is really sad, though, because that is a library. Just like, yeah. in many ways, YouTube is a library. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not a public library. The Internet Archive, though, is more like a public library. It's an open source thing. It's just not run by government. Yeah. Um, so, I don't know, man. I feel I feel like that's really scummy. Um, you know, it's not enough for me to suggest that people put on their, you know, skull and crossbone hat and, like, mm-hmm. go out and, and sail the open seas of the Internet or anything like that. But it is enough for me to, like, really think hard about why are we fighting so hard as people who are moral you know, mm-hmm. and not just like akin to doing illegal or bad things. Why are we fighting so hard to protect the rights of these companies that whenever they have an opportunity to be good back to us, they are 
intrinsically never like that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we were talking about that uh, a week or two ago. I don't remember if it was for the podcast or just on the side. But we as America have really put ourselves in a weird situation where when it benefits a company, we treat them like they're an individual. Right. And when it benefits the company, we treat them like they're a corporation. Right. And it lets them get these kind of weird things where it's like, oh, yeah, you know, we understand we can't enforce this on you because if we enforce that on a single citizen, that would be awful. That would be crazy. You would never do that to every citizen. But then it's like, oh, you want to have to follow this other law? Well, there's like hundreds of thousands of you in your organization. There's no way you can follow it, so you can just be an entity. Exactly. You know, it, um, <laughs> it does get very weird like that with how we have a lot of our like enterprise corporate laws set up. Yeah, so I, I think anyone that's listening to this podcast – I'm not suggesting that you go do something illegal or something like that, but you really need to think about how you vote with your wallet with yeah. these companies. And, like and you, a lot of times you can't avoid them, but you don't necessarily need um, to go to the movie theater to see a movie anymore. They mm -hmm. just want you to do that. So, you know, they put restrictions on you and try to make it so that you have to go there. Yeah. Like we, me and my wife, we pretty much stopped going to regular movie theaters. Now, if we're going to a movie, we're going to like an Alamo Draft House, where the appeal is not um, necessarily I'm watching the movie on a big screen. It's that like I can sit down with really good popcorn and hit a little button, and someone will bring me a drink right. whenever I want. And let me tell you, that's a fun experience. We saw um, was the D and D movie? No, we saw the Mario movie like that. Yeah. The D&D movie we went and saw at Cine Bistro, which was just awful. I was not a fan of that experience. <laughs> you ever been to one of those? I have been to a Cine Bistro. I, I, there's one that's right down here uh, mm -hmm. off of 55 um, that uh, is okay. It's not the best. Yeah. It's not the worst. Well, the, my problem with Cine Bistro, and to explain to the viewers who might not have either one of those, Alamo Draft House is essentially a movie theater with a kind of like small restaurant and, and pub bar. built into yeah. it. So that like you get a menu at the beginning and there's like a little light on your seat so you can like turn a little light on. They'll come, take your order, bring you some food, bring you a drink throughout the movie. Cinebistro is a fancier version of that with like really fancy food. Like it, you can get like $60, $70 entrees there. But what I hated about it was you have to place all of your orders before the movie. They right. won't bring you something during the movie. At that point, it's just dinner and then a movie, <laughs> not dinner and a movie like together, right. which is the whole appeal to me. If I wanted to go eat at a fancy restaurant and then go see a movie, I'd do those two things separately. Because what ends up happening when you have to place your order ahead of time is you're done eating by the time the credits are over. You're not even doing anything. Well, you mean by the time the pre Oh, pre that's right. Yeah, runs. yeah, whatever they're called. The, the previews yeah, the are previews. over. Yeah. So, you know, I'm just sitting there then with popcorn and regular drink. I'm like, this is the same thing as the movie. <laughs> they, yeah. just, they just reinvented the same thing that we had before. <laughs> yeah. They just – and it's not like the food was bad. It was not bad. It was good food. But it was pricey for what it is because you're paying for the convenience of it with a movie, but without the convenience of the movie actually playing. So we're, we're a hard Alamo draft house from now on. I'm yeah, I, I like the Alamo sure. draft house also. Um, the, it, that felt a little bit more geeky also when I went there. Because they have the, the video game area and the trivia mm -hmm. area. It's not just a movie theater. And the people that work there kind of felt a little bit more like my people. Than yeah, and they like they sell 
DVDs still and VHS tapes, and you can rent VCRs. Yeah. It's like it's definitely for someone who is a cinema nerd, which I am not. But I do appreciate the aesthetics of like this is just set up for people who want to go watch a movie and have a good time. Yeah. And Cinebistro even like said on their website, it's like, oh, that way you don't have people like running in the aisles to take orders. It's so <laughs> distracting. And I'm like, it's never been a problem in Alamo. Like, never been. A I've problem. never been distracted by someone getting their order because the staff like have little tiny carts that are like super low to the ground. They duck down. I've never even seen one watch a movie. Yep. You're just making it inconvenient. I can't order a drink halfway through. <laughs> yeah. What What if I decided I wanted a beer? Making it so I can't have your beer. <laughs> well, yeah, that was my exact thing. Is like, well, I wanted to go up to the movie, have like a, a a burger, and then like order two or three various drinks throughout the movie, like get a couple cocktails and stuff like that. And it's like I'm not gonna order three cocktails at the beginning of a movie because I look like an alcoholic. <laughs> They're gonna be like <laughs> sitting here the whole time, which you know, like three. I mean, but think about that. Like, if you went out to a bar and you ordered three cocktails over two and a half hours, that's not crazy behavior. But when they come out with three drinks all at once and put them in front of you, you're like, mm, this feels weird. Yeah. Wrong. So, um, th- but I know I took us on. A <laughs> we went on a rabbit trail. I enjoy this talk, but uh, I just I want to go back to the talk about the um, the physical versus digital thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Buying physical media, even though digital media is more convenient to get, buying physical media and actually picking it up and having it, especially for the things that you really, really want, whether mm-hmm. it's a music CD or something like that is infinitely more um, protected for you to be able to have that and have like some sort of confidence in it. Anything digital that you get from someone is just a lease until they decide that they don't want you to have it anymore. Amazon's proved this. Publishers have proved this movie uh, places that say you buy a movie and you get a digital copy they take those things offline all the time Um, you know voodoo and all that stuff quit lose rights to be able to give you stuff like that that is one of the problems I have with steam is it is a platform that is great but you can't make a backup for the most part it's up to the publisher but it's hard for you to make a backup and use that without having that DRM built in and if they ever decide to take something offline or make it so a server doesn't work especially for some of these online games or these um, continuous delivery type games that are games as a service Mm -hmm. you don't ever actually own that even though they use that language when they they make you pay for it so let me touch on that because I think you hit on something that's very important to distinguish it is not a problem with a digital piece of media itself because if you buy a book as a PDF and you don't need some special service or some special reader to use it, you have that PDF yep. pretty much forever. You get a digital movie and they give you just the actual movie file, you have that movie forever. It's when you start tying into these, I'm providing this to you as a service, where things get really dicey. Yep. Because, like, yeah, if that service goes down, you don't have that thing anymore. Because, or you know, Steam's a great example for, like, I have Skyrim physically installed on my computer. I could back that up. That's great. But it's got stuff built into it that if it can't connect back to Steam, I can't actually play it. Right. And that's where the problem is. Not that I've got a digital copy. It's that it is tied into a service that has to allow me to use this product I've already bought. Yep. And even physical video games have gone that way. So, like, the Mm -hmm. disc is not really anything. It doesn't – it may hold, like, some of the content of the game, but you, like, for your PlayStation games or your Xbox games – the, the disc has to go in. You have to be able to reach back to whatever server is. Yep. 
in order to get whatever the update file is before it'll let you play the game half the time. Mm -hmm. Sometimes oh, yeah. it won't. A Sometimes lot of them, yeah. And even if there's no update to be had, if you can't get it to whatever server needs to get to, it just won't start. And that is one of the things I hate about the physical to digital conversion of games. I yep. think that's the biggest load of BS that I can go out and buy a physical copy of the game. I could then install it digitally on my console, but I can't play it on my console without inserting the disc. It right. is the worst of both worlds. Yep. That like I can lose access to the game and but I'm still inconvenienced by having to have a physical disc. Like if that disc breaks, I can't play my digital copy anymore because right. I don't have something to pass the authentication. It's like what's the point of that? <laughs> you know, at least if I had bought a digital one I could always play the digital, and then they could still take it away from me, and I just don't. I only have one avenue it can be taken away from. Well, yeah, and it's. I mean, it's even kind of worse because most physical games that you buy, they install themselves on the mm -hmm. uh, on the console, or they install parts of the game on the console, and so you can't play them in either way. Yeah, you can't play it just off the disc like you used to be able to years and years and years ago, and you can't just play it without the disc. Mm -hmm. So they're encouraging you to get these digital only services. But then you're essentially leasing that stuff until they decide they don't want you to have it anymore or they're going to try to do what Nintendo does, which is every couple of years they're going to make you buy the same thing that you've already bought once again. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just a racket to try to squeeze as much money out of you or to control your thought process and your way of doing things. And I'm – I mean – I know that some of us work in tech and stuff like that, but come on, can't we be better than that? Yeah. We should be better than that. We should be ethically better than that. That seems unethical. You mm. know, I sold this to you. I didn't really sell it to you. Yeah. People get so scared about securing a product, which I mean, outside of places like China, has never really been a major issue in the world. Right. You know, in fact, I mean, if I can poke fun at Amazon, Amazon actively causes the problems they're trying to prevent. Or maybe they act like they're the perpetrator in it. So, like, I'm not sure if you've ever seen that drama where, like, Amazon's been accused a bunch of times that a lot of their Amazon basic products are stolen. Yeah, yeah, yeah essentially. They go, they go find a product that's selling really well on their platform. They go reverse engineer it, make their own, ban the previous seller yep. from their platform. And it's like, okay, well, like, you're the one that does that. If Amazon Video is like, oh, we're worried you're going to steal our media, it's like, well, then you stop stealing other people's stuff. <laughs> stop. Yeah, you're, you're kind you of know? the pot calling the kettle black. <laughs> exactly. You're like, this is a big problem in the industry. It's like, yeah, that's you. Yeah. Like, you're the problem <laughs> in the industry. It's, it, it, is, it is an amazing issue um, and an amazing hypocrisy. And we shouldn't – I mean – if, if I ever leave this world and can just get people to agree with me on one thing, I don't care about the corporation. I mean, just the average person. Mm -hmm. We should not. We, I mean, it is so easy for us not to do that, you know, like not to be part of that. You can just not buy that thing or not use that service. <laughs> and yeah. There's other ways to get these things. You don't have to do it that mm -hmm. way, you know. I would love to see – corporations come out and try and do a pricing of like this is the lease price and this is the own price right because i think it would really show off just the incredible i want to say hypocrisy necessarily but just the greediness of it yeah where it's like oh yeah we'll sell you this lease video game copy for 70 bucks but we think to own it you should pay 500 
Because then people ask, and then they start seeing, they're like, whoa, why do you think I should have to pay $500, $500. to own a video game? <laughs> you know? Because that's essentially what they would get at, is like, just enforce that there has to be an option for true ownership on everything. And just let people see it. So it's like, oh, you bought a copy of Windows? Yeah, the lease kind of Windows thing that's three, 400 bucks. If you want to like permanently own it and we can never take it away, that's five grand. Or, or if you're a corporation, it's $20. <laughs> yeah, or you know, however they want to do their pricing. Just make it so it all has to be there because then you'll really start to see who are the people that are just like, hey, what I'm offering is a service. It's really hard for me to actually give you ownership, like certain like software leases and things like that because like, we put so much R&D in it. If we sold you a copy and it got out, it would be prohibitive. You know, the stuff you see was like Adobe and all that. Right. Versus the like, oh, I made a, I made a really crappy video game. I mean, it was AAA though, but you know, like I kind of didn't try very hard. It's one of those really awful games that used to come out every year. Yep. Uh, Seventy bucks, maybe three fifty to own it. And you're like, why would anyone pay three fifty for that? Right. Also, it really makes clear the intention that like if you, if you would sell me to me for seventy bucks, but I don't own it. But to own it, you're going to pay me, make me pay 300 bucks. Then clearly you think at some point you should be able to take it away from me. Right. You know? Yeah. It's the other side. I don't know. I'm not sure like anything that I would get past, but I would just love to see that world where the corporations then have to like justify why they don't just give you ownership. Yeah, I mean, exactly. And the indie devs can do it. They give you – they go on GOG and give oh, yeah. just DRM free. You bought it. You own it. It was $15. You got it. Yep. Uh, vampire survivor is kind of the same way you know you you bought it for five bucks mm-hmm. you own it yeah <laughs> and they're doing pretty well from what i understand the developers of vampire survivor oh yeah oh, i mean i think that really I, again i won't get us on too far of a tangent because i know we're probably over but it's indie games that i think are really going to be carrying the industry because the big titles now are just rehashing things over and over yeah. and over again whereas you get somebody who goes in makes vampire survivors or like half of these indie games that probably easily cost them like a hundred grand to make, you know, some of these games are pretty made for like single digit thousands of dollars and they're just raking in money because they're such good games versus the, Oh, I spent 20 million to make this game and I only made 18 million back. Right. Like we're living in a world where some of these big titles, if they don't sell millions of copies, don't even turn a profit. Right. And it's like, what are you doing? Like, that's just unsustainable. It, it is. How is your company still functioning? Oh, you've got venture capital. Or, exactly. Oh, got oh we this. got investment people. And that's why you yeah. see how many times has the new Elder Scroll game been announced? This was announced like five or six years ago. Yeah. Not even working on it yet, I don't think. They're no, still, they're working on it. They're just, it's not. They're, they're uh, working on it, air quotes. Yeah. The, it's, they're still going to release um, Starfield first. Starfield, so, like, Starfield was announced before Elder Scrolls. Yeah. I mean, like, look, I'm just going to say this. We're, we're starting to see lead times on games that are taking longer than total development times used to be. Yeah. You used to be able to just completely get a game out in two to three years. Now they're getting announced five or six years before they even come out. Sometimes two or three years before development even starts. starts. Yep. Just so to get the investment money to keep them afloat because it all it takes is one real stinker of a game and you just lost $10 million. Yep. Why would you put yourself <laughs> in that situation? I, I mean, especially when um, – so like – you know, talking about like stinker games, right? Mm. EA has the Star Wars franchise right now. Yeah. Um, Jedi Survivor was an okay game. I played like a little bit of it, but it's basically mm-hmm. the same thing as um, what was that? Um, Force Unleashed. It's the same game, just kind of rehashed with a different like 
slightly different storyline, not yeah. m- not terribly different, and the main character is almost the same, you know. Okay. Uh, which Force Un- Unleashed was basically a, a rehash of the um, uh, Jedi Knight series from you know if you remember that mm. from back in the like yeah 90s I never played early two thousands. Yeah, which I mean, it's a good series. That, that that's the best of those series, like essentially of those games. So I can buy a physical copy of the Jedi Knight series back in the day and actually own it mm-hmm. and be able to play it. I can buy it off GOG right now and own the copy, the digital copy of it. I I can own it on Steam, you know, or I can lease it off of Steam, you know. Um, but I can't do that with the new game and the new game is not as good as it looks prettier, but it's not as good of a game yep. as the old game, you know, essentially. Um, and so why, why is it worth, you know, 80 bucks for mm. me to get that game? Eventually it's going to go on sale for five because it's not, you know, turn a profit or whatever. Yeah. Um, and they'll just try to like liquidate as many digital copies as they can, which they could because you have an infinite. It's not like physical media. You have an yeah, infinite number of those things. <laughs> That's the thing that annoys me the most. I get. I got real upset when <clears throat> digital copies stopped being cheaper than physical. Yeah. For a little golden era, there a digital copy cost like ten bucks less. Yep. And now they cost the same price. And it's like you didn't have to make anything. You didn't have to ship anything. You didn't have to worry about warehouse holding on anything. Like it's crazy that the digital is the same price. When like when you look at a product that's in a store, such a large chunk of that is the cost to get it to the store. Right. Like, you know, that's why these like fruit stands and stuff on the side of the road are cheaper a lot of times than grocery stores. Right. Because they didn't have to go do all that stuff. Yeah, they just picked it out of the field and brought it to the fruit stand. Exactly. Yeah. So like, come on, guys, how are you? <laughs> how are you getting away with this? What are you? What are you giving me on the digital copy? I don't have as much access to the product. And it's, I mean, I'll, I'll be honest. If you just look intrinsic value, it is a lesser product. Because you don't actually have a physical thing. You don't have the box art. You don't have whatever else they put in there. Like, I'm getting less product for the same price. Even if that's the way I prefer to consume it. Because I do prefer. Right. You know, I buy most of my games digitally now. I don't really buy too many physical games anymore. But, like... You should be knocking 10, 15 bucks off of that. Yeah. Like, just, be, just be honest. Well, it, should, it probably should be half the cost. Of it's probably not that much, coffee. but you know, it, it's somewhere in there. Like there is certainly money saved not having to do all of these extra steps. Yeah. Well, the reason I'm saying it's probably, it probably should be half the cost. The, the cost of games are inflated versus what they were in the past. I'm not saying that we should go back to where um, a, a game is, you know, 20 bucks or something like that mm-hmm. to buy a brand new game. But what I am saying is paying 70 to a hundred dollars for a lease of a game yep. is an exorbitant amount paying 70 to a hundred dollars to buy a physical copy of a game and it's DLC and everything like that is also a bit of an exorbitant amount mm-hmm. when in a year or two you're selling it for $20. So that tells me that that mm-hmm. game, you know, when you do the greatest hits or whatever version of it, and it comes out at like that discounted price, that that game didn't cost that much. That's your, you know, padding to try to get that profit in the first yeah. 
well, bit. Yeah, a lot of it is paying off all the costs of stuff that shouldn't exist. I love when they yeah. say, well, games are more expensive than ever to make. It's like, that's your problem. Yeah. Why do you keep chasing more and more expensive games? Like, an, it, an indie studio is whooping your butt in terms of copies sold for a four-buck game. Yeah. <laughs> because for $4, they gave me some of the, like, the funnest 15, 20 hours I've had in the last couple of years. Yep. Exactly. You know? Well, I think Cooper is telling us we need to uh, wrap this up. Yeah, Andrew's getting on us on TikTok. <laughs> so we're going to do that. Um, I, I, I will say this while we're listening to Cooper bark. Um, I will say this. I think that you're actually changing your thought process on this a little bit. We've talked about it enough. You're starting to see it more my way. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I'll ever want to go back to physical. I've always been like property rights need to be there. And what property rights we've had have slowly started to erode away. Yeah. I'm not happy about it. Yeah. Uh, anyways, uh, so this was season six, episode seven of the Beer and Broadband podcast. Thank you so much for listening. It should come out on May 8th, 2023. And we'll catch you next time.